Coming to you once again from <laughs> our new improved audio. I just, I feel very smug about this, even though I didn't lift a finger. Well, you are a smug bunt. I know. But um, I also just, I think you put on a strange voice when we've got good sound <laughs> quality. I reckon you're a bit like, hello. <laughs> I do. You do? I think I do. Yeah, I think you do. Now I can act BBC. like a professional. <laughs> yes, welcome to the BBC. Now, um, before we talk about anything, yes. I just bought us tickets to see the dollop. You are oh. the best. You and can't I come, will. of course, because it's while you're on television. Well, what time does the show actually start? Uh, 7.30 till 9.30. Oh, I know. Crap. Um, but I also love, like, they're on sale today for fans and then tomorrow for everybody else. But that whole structure just makes me laugh because I'm like, get in early, fans, before you're flattened by the rush of people who genuinely are not interested. <laughs> by the non-fans. I know. Anyway. Um, hey, now, if you are just a listener of the podcast and you um, are not aware that we um, are on Facebook, I've got some happy news for you because we've set up a group on Facebook. Yeah, which, I know. God, it's like a mosh pit, that place. We have come to realise that Chat 10 Luxury <laughs> is a cult. I know. It's so good though, but I'm just losing so much time because I just go in there early in the morning and someone's already always just posted something hilarious or oh, brilliant. It's, so, or, it's yeah. so great. And we get a lot of feedback from women who are at home on maternity leave or at home looking after young kids and they feel a bit lonely and isolated. Or just crying for no, no good reason. <laughs> exactly. Reaching out to us for, in their cries for help, desperate cries for help. Um, and they often say, you know, we help them get through and whatnot. I would recommend that you take a look at this Facebook group because I think it's a very good source of support and encouragement yeah. and a good community of people. And also the recipe for that crack, that salada biscuit crack stuff is there. Saladas must be like disappearing <laughs> off spike. the shelves because so many people oh, that's are not making sponsor that thing. sales along with <laughs> that brand of margarine that you favour. Brought to you by Western Star and Salada. <laughs> you have those two things together, they're delicious. And the phone call, the phone's been running hot. You got any calls? Yeah, me neither. Um, Somebody on the <laughs> Chat 10 Facebook group, if you want to find it, just go on Facebook and search Chat 10 Looks 3 and you'll find it. Someone has done a – well, firstly, we've discovered that <laughs> Chat 10 listeners call themselves chatters. That's good. Fine awesome. with me. A chatter has done a global map and set it this up and so you can drop pins in to show <laughs> where you're from. Uh, shout out to the person who's listening in South Sudan. Shout out to the person who's listening in Tanzania. Shout out to you, Louise, in Cape Town. Shout out to you, Ryan, in Ontario. Amazing. It's incredible. And the other thing that I really like about that whole map experience is that the chick who's done it all, which is brilliant, has like about half an hour into this social experiment just gone back on the thread because people are like, wow, hey, I'm in Iceland, I'm in wherever. And she's gone, ah, uh, people, uh, you don't have to put your actual home address in. <laughs> it's now like a burglary map about <laughs> That's all right. I, it made me laugh, but also made me just, I don't know, I like that because I just, I really do feel like, do you know, like we always talk about people who bring food and everything and sometimes yeah. people say, you'll just eat food that people will bring in. <laughs> and I'm like. Yeah, because chatters are very lovely and seem extremely trustworthy. Mm. So um, one of the things that's been really interesting too now that we've got that group is 
getting a sense of what people would like us to talk about. And so in the week since we've set it up, there's now about um, 4,200 of you. I checked before I came up here. There has been a lot of talk about... Sales is viewing this as a personal KPI. (laughs) Just FYI. (laughs) Exactly. Um, A lot of people have been asking us, can we talk about The Handmaid's Tale? Yeah, right. Which um, I haven't watched yet. So, But you, I know, because you're a SWAT have gone away and watched just so that you can talk about watching it. Exactly. For you people on the Facebook group. now um, There is a lot of exchange about it, so yeah, fair enough. Let's just back up a bit. Um, Have you read any Margaret Atwood? Yes, I've read The Handmaid's Tale. Okay. Have you read any other Margaret Atwood? Uh, Yes, I have. Uh, The Bride... Um, Alias Grace? Oh, you're thinking of The Blind Assassin. The Blind Assassin. Mm. Um, Yeah. Would you say you're an Atwood fan? Uh, look, I think she's extraordinary. I'm not a massive, I'm not a massive sort of sci-fi dystopia kind of fan. Yeah. So I've got to be a bit ready. I felt the same way about the Charlotte Wood book. Um, oh yeah, um, the, natural the natural way of things. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like, and also like you know, even non sort of dystopian, just sort of out and out man's inhumanity to man things like you know Cormac McCarthy the Mm. road you know like those sorts of things not your bag um I've found myself less able to read that stuff since I've had kids and I know that that's massively predictable of me um because you know I read them and can't think of anything but my own children being subjected to this stuff so yeah there's that so I so I just have to kind of prep myself and I haven't quite prepped myself for the handmaid's tale but I know because the book was incredible, I know that, and I I love everybody associated with this TV production. So I know that I'll get straight into it and be unable to stop watching right. it. So um, and then unable to sleep. <laughs> so just before I talk about yeah what what people want to know, which is well, should I watch the damn thing? Um, I studied The Handmaid's Tale in university, and so that was my entree into Margaret Atwood. And I was a very big Margaret Atwood fan for yep. a few years. So off the back of that, I did a deep dive into her work. Would you um, say that you've sort of gone off for a bit since? Yes, because for exactly the reason you said. So I really liked The Handmaid's Tale, even though it's not generally my bag either, Mm. that dystopian fiction. Um, I absolutely loved Alias Grace, Mm -hmm. which would have been, um, you know, one of my favourite books in that time. I really loved The Blind Assassin as well. And then she started a trilogy, the first of which was Oryx and Crake. And I did not read that one. Not me either. And then I haven't read – I've read one non-fiction book that Margaret Atwood's done since called Payback and I haven't read anything she's written since because I just felt like it was shifting into sci-fi territory, which isn't my bag. Although Margaret Atwood herself got in trouble a few years ago because she – she said, I don't write science fiction. I don't write about Martians. And yeah. she was quite dismissive of it. She yeah. said, I write speculative fiction. Right. And, of course, all the sci-fi people were up yeah. in arms about it. She had to dial it back a little bit. Um, <laughs> they would be persistent, wouldn't they, yeah. the sci-fi fans? But, look, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure whether or not – whether it's speculative fiction or sci-fi, it's not generally what I'm into. But having said that, I did also watch Black Mirror. Have you right. watched any of that? A little bit, yeah. And so The Handmaid's Tale – You're a big fan of Black Mirror. Yeah, I, I really yeah. like it. The Handmaid's Tale is a similar vibe to Black Mirror in that what it's doing is taking um, a step into the future but not the far future, yeah. like the sort of near future, and, you know, things are sort of – very recognisable in some ways and then in other ways horrifyingly Mm. unrecognisable. And so 
you have this thing in your head where you think, oh, well, I could see the steps that it would take for us to get there. Gee, it'd be unfortunate if we took those steps and mm. that's where things ended up. But that's where the horror and the discomfort comes from because you can see that, oh, gee, that could actually happen. You can see a pathway to this yeah. series of events. And yeah. The Handmaid's Tale, Margaret Atwood said when she wrote it, she deliberately didn't include any plot points or developments or repression of women that hadn't already happened yeah. somewhere in the world yeah. or that didn't have a modern point of comparison so to give people if you don't know what the handmaid's tale is it is a um, novel set in the future um it's in the united states which has become run by a theocratic government there's been some sort of revolution um the country has been heavily polluted and it's compromised women's fertility and so hardly any women can bear children and of the um births only i think it was one in five will be a healthy baby. Mm. The others are stillborns or um, deformed or whatever. And so um, women who are breeders are assigned to households um, of powerful people to help the men breed children, but they aren't the man's wife. They're mm. a handmaid. And so The Handmaid's Tale follows this central character, Offred, um, and her life as a handmaid. She's played by the woman who's Peggy in Mad Men. Elizabeth um, Moss. Moss. Yep. Yeah. Who is fantastic. Now, it is, I'm not going to lie, it's pretty bleak terrain, yeah. especially in the context of what's going on in the United States at the moment. But I have found it extraordinarily gripping. Mm. Like it feels like it's got a real that driving. That seems to be a very common response to it, yeah. Yeah, real driving plot. And I'm not finding it, it's creeping me out at times, but I'm not finding it so bleak that it's unwatchable. And I've got a pretty low yeah. tolerance for that sort of stuff. Um, so I'd highly recommend it. I mean, it looks incredible as well. Because mm. if mm. anyone remembers the cover of the book and the way she describes the handmaids, they wear these blood red cloaks with white hat sort of things that blinker their view. And um, so there's a lot of swishy red and white and it just looks really um, phenomenal. So, yeah, I'd say if you're you're looking for something to invest your time in, you could do a lot worse than The Handmaid's Tale. Okay, all right. um, You know that I have recently read and just super enjoyed – Dennis Glover's new book, oh, which yeah. is um, an account. It's called The Last Man in Europe and it's an account um, of uh, George Orwell writing 1984. Um, and I also recently saw the Sydney Theatre Company's production of 1984. So I've been in, in dystopia land, you know. Um, well, people often talk about 1984 yeah. and Handmaid's Tale in the same breath. Yeah. but And look, the great thing about this book, um, The Last Man in Europe, is that it is a work of fiction that is uh, the story of Orwell writing this book. But but Glover is an Orwell scholar for, from way back and his familiarity with Orwell's life and writing is so deep that the book actually reads like Orwell's writing it. You know, it's not written from first-person narrative, but it's just – it's quite an achievement. Wow. I sort of picked it up thinking, oh, yeah, how's this going to go? Uh, it's really good and the, and the most – I mean, it's a really cracking – narrative and it tells you all this stuff that you've either learned and half forgotten or been sort of mistily aware of about Orwell's life which is that you know he was a he was a writer and a journalist but he also was a protagonist you know he he went and fought in the Spanish Civil War and he was shot in the neck and then he sort of came back from the trenches where he'd been fighting fascists and then to find that his sort of weird branch of Trotskyist militia that he was involved with a group called the Poom had been basically 
black band by Stalin during the time he'd been in the trenches. He came back to Barcelona to meet his wife and found that actually there was a warrant out for his death, you know. And when you read about those things that happened to him, you start to really understand where he got his interest in this sort of like faceless totalitarian regimes where they constantly change, you know, the, who the enemy is and there are all these shifting lines. And, and so you, you get a really strong sense of where all of these themes come from yeah. and the fact that actually, you know, that book is all about things that happened to him or that he observed or his concerns about... Um, uh, ideological or political movements that turn into totalitarian regimes. So also, you know, there's there's the fact that he, I mean, he died in his mid-40s. Um, uh, he had TB and just suffered for most of his sort of short adult life. And um, there's just all sorts of tidbits and interesting um, historical details that are correct. I mean, the, the book is a work of fiction, allegedly, but it, a lot of, I mean, most of the life events are actually accurate. But also he um, had this sort of strange, fraught relationship with H.G. Wells. And there's this great um, scene where Wells comes over for dinner. And in the time between Orwell inviting Wells over for dinner and Wells coming for dinner, um, Orwell has written this absolutely shocking review, like viciously critical <laughs> of Wells' latest book. And then oh Wells turns God. up for dinner and is just like, Fuck you. Oh, so Will still comes to dinner. Yeah. Oh, it's man. It's brilliant. Oh, how and, amazing. But, but, the, but the conversation, which is sort of reconstructed, but there are records of this dinner and this exchange happening, like it actually did happen, um, is all about the nature of, um, of um, not science fiction, but I guess um, writing that kind of pitches forward into the future because Wells... Um, was an inspirational figure to Orwell on that count. And Orwell's, one of his central accusations against Wells is like, you got it wrong, you know, the way you saw the future isn't how it's turning out. And it, it's just a really interesting way of thinking about that kind of writing and what is the writer doing? Are they making a prediction or is mm. it a warning? Um, and Orwell, I think, is a warning, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, surely none of it's predictive, I wouldn't have thought. It, it is more. Well, it was reflective, I suppose. It's, it's, a ca you know. it's cautionary, yeah. I would have thought. Same with Black Mirror. It's yeah. sort of making you think, oh, yeah, you can see where social media could lead or, or whatever. Um, when you saw 1984, you know mm. how people always say, and they're saying it now, of the, Handma the Handmaid's Tale, they always say of 1984, oh, it just feels, you know, so much more um, real now than it did, you know, at the time it was written or that it did in 1984. Yeah. Did you have that sense that it felt contemporary? Well, I think that parts of it shone out. Um, and so, you know, when they talk about, um, you know, addiction to screens and the the, the, the role of... Um, yeah, right. Yeah, and, and, and always being under observation. Well, that is something that is... I mean, your, your mobile phone is telling... Uh, all sorts of companies where you are mm. and what you're doing and whether you're near their shops or even, you know, what you're talking about in some circumstances. And, you know, you send an email to a friend and you get a sort of reflective ad that yeah. pops up. I mean, that whole idea about universal observation mm. is something that would have made very little sense when Orwell wrote the book but seems massively prescient now. Yeah, right. um, 
So um, did you see that article the other day, by the way, about um, things that Bill Gates predicted and got right? It was like... No, I saw, wrote, I, didn't, I saw it, but I didn't click on it. Yeah. With that book that he wrote in the 90s, and it was like the list of 20 things that Bill Gates wrote about in the 1990s, and it's so spooky. It's wow. all, like you know... like what sort of... Well, like, oh, there'll be... Um, people will have their own personal mini devices that they will um, be able to get onto the internet with. I mean, this is in the very early days of the internet when you could Kale barely get on it no anywhere. no longer be pig's food. People <laughs> in a city, hipsters everywhere, will be cooking with it non-stop. <laughs> Salted caramel will be so ubiquitous that it's served in tea. And on airlines. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, avocado on toast will be unusually <laughs> be expensive. Um, so, yeah, um, but but also sort of crazy things that would have been really, really hard to predict at the time, like, you know, um, there'll be um, there'll be a business in websites that compare prices between other websites. So, you know, he, I don't know. There was all sorts of stuff. Wow. Um, that, I must have a look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll dig it out for you. Or um, let's Brenda. face it. Brenda will <laughs> dig it out. Thanks, Brenda. Um, anyway, so, um, uh, but yeah, look. The, 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 I guess the strength of 1984 is that it th- there's a whole lot of stuff that really makes sense in um, uh, World War II um, and there's a lot of stuff that makes sense now that would have seen fa- seemed fanciful back then. It, yeah. it, it sort of changes yeah, but is, right. Im- is immortal. Like, I mean, mm. it's just, yeah, it's, it is just such an extraordinary book and um, I just think that this account of Orwell writing it, it just fills in so many gaps and is just itself quite um, quite a – it's a very evocative record of the time. Oh, sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah, it is. It's so good. Um, can I just share a few more Handmaids-related things? Yep. Just because, again, you know, people are talking about it so much. There's a few bits and pieces that people might be into. Margaret Atwood is actually very interested in technology and, she, she, in fact, she holds a patent on this pen. What? That, yeah. She, it's called the long pen, which you can um, sign a document with. Yeah. It, she, she developed it because she couldn't always travel to book readings and stuff. And so now you can get Margaret Atwood. There'll be a machine at, you know, your end. And Margaret Atwood will sign your book, dear Annabelle. Love Margaret Atwood, and it comes out at the other end, on signed on your actual book, like as if Margaret Atwood's. But hand I have to buy it. this crazy pen no, shit. It'll for... be at the book signing thing. Oh, um, what? Anyway, she's very into technology, and she's also. So she won't be at the book signing. No, but she'll her be back weird home in Toronto. Thing will be. And her pen thing will be. Does and her so pen thing actual... also like talk for an hour and a half about dystopian <laughs> no, she'll be on a Screen or something. <laughs> so yeah, speaking of dystopian, it's crazy pen signs yeah. a book, and Margaret's not there. Well, you didn't um, see, you know, Bill Gates foreseeing the Margaret what weird pen <laughs> thing, did you? Or Orwell. Who are these guys? Nappers. <laughs> she was a very early adopter of Twitter. She has 1.69 million followers on Twitter, so you can have a look at her or follow her. She also tweets not all sorts of interesting Bill Gates. stuff and has quite a good sense of humour. Um, you know Emma Watson? Yes. She has done an interview with Margaret Atwood. Oh, I've seen I've seen yeah. a thing about that. It was It's a really absolutely charming um, interview uh, and Margaret Atwood apparently She's really quite likes... funny, isn't she? I've seen her, I saw it. Hey, on Margaret my, or yeah. Emma Watson? Uh, Margaret Atwood. I could yeah, not vouch for Emma Watson's sense of humour. And um, she apparently really likes talking to young people. So you can see she's quite engaged. Yeah, you know, right. in the re- reading of it, you can see that she's quite engaged with Emma Watson. Um, there is also a podcast I've not listened to, so I can't vouch for the quality of it. But I do love the podcast that goes with what you're listening that fleshes it out yeah. a bit. Um, it's called Red All Over. Right. And so it's the um, Handmaid's Tale oh, podcast. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. Um, I really liked one of our chatters who. 
um, recounted a story about like one of the unfortunate spin-offs of The Handmaid's Tale being on telly is that her brand new, quite expensive <laughs> so red cool. linen dress that she bought recently at crippling expense now makes her look so much like <laughs> Offred that she can't wear it. That was really funny. <laughs> She's walking down the street and people are like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get her pregnant. <laughs> I also liked this exchange on the Facebook group about The Handmaid's Tale, which related to the episode I watched last night, which was episode two, where one of the handmaids is giving birth. Right. And so it's this quite weird thing where all the other handmaids get summoned to this house. And so yeah. they all arrive at the house and they take off their red cloaks right. under, under which they wear a red dress yeah. and they take off those little wing things yeah. on their head. And so Liz Morrison wrote on the group, just watched the first two episodes of The Handmaid's Tale and I'm transfixed, but something's worrying me. How did they find their own wings and cloaks after the birth scene? Do they have name tags? <laughs> It sparked this, like, lengthy and hilarious discussion. I thought the same. And then someone else, like shoes, going to the wrong home after a yoga class. And someone else is like, Judy Pemberton says, same here, I'd be that handmaid running around going, I think you picked up my wings. Next, Caitlin Fry, it's literally the only thing I own. And then everyone's talking like, well, I think they're all identical and thus they're interchangeable, Judy Pemberton. But I'd want my wings back. Leah Williams. Just nits would go around that handmade community <laughs> like a flash. Leah Williams Feasy, Judy Pemberton, one of the many things you'd hate about being a handmaid, <laughs> I suspect. Anyway, it's just, it goes on and on. But what, what, what if you all have different sized heads? Because those things look like they fit pretty snug and thus large wings on a small head could be a disaster. <laughs> Joe War. Exactly. There's no way Rory Gilmore's pinhead, Rory Gilmore's one of the people, pinhead was exactly the same size as anyone else's. <laughs> anyway, and the capes, Liz Morrison, and the capes would be different lengths, surely. I'm 5'10 and I know from my nursing days if I got some short ass's cape. <laughs> This is a real problem as a viewer, isn't it? When you get fixated on the practicalities. Remember when we watched that episode of um, Mad Men and Don Draper was making passionate love to one of his, you know, 58 illicit (laughs) girlfriends and they were like just doing it on some white rug and they had a glass of wine each and both of us are watching it at your house just going, gosh, just put that wine on a table because that's a white rug. You won't get it out of there. Didn't he do something? I think they. I think he's. They spilt the wine on the carpet, and then he made love to her on the rug yeah. or something. And, and we were like, like yeah, absolutely, our method, our method for wine stain removal. <laughs> Shag on top of it. Um, well, look, um, I actually jumped on that thread too because on a. Are you not finished with handmade? Oh, all I was going to say, actually, no, I. I no, you go, you go. Is um, it about handmade? I jumped onto that handmaid's thread about the anxiety about the swapped capes because <laughs> oh, somebody oh. else, I saw um, Wonder Woman, the film, right. uh, not, the, not the person striding around <laughs> in her undies. Um, I saw Wonder Woman, the film, the other night with my daughter, who's 10, and uh, I had exactly the same practicality issues. I mean, obviously, I immediately relinquished all expectation of, plot sense when it became clear that a island full of Amazons, one of whom is Robin Wright, great, um, uh, just sort of fighting each other relentlessly, somehow then get tangled up in World War Two. I'm like, and I've checked out. Like, it's <laughs> like, I expect no further plot plausibility from this film at all. And I was quite released from that point on. I'm just like, oh, well, oh, this is going to be ridiculous, is it? Oh, okay, sorry. Oh, I thought you were going to say something about, you know, her outfit, like no, Cadish yes. Devalu or something. So, um, so uh, Wonder Woman in the film, she is a, you know, a, 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 a goddess, it turns out. Spoiler, sorry. <laughs> don't find that out until later in the film. But it's pretty bloody obvious, to be honest. Right. So, uh, yeah, so she 
she's the daughter of Zeus and Hippolyta. Hippolyta. Oh, I put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. I'm very bad at these goddesses. Um, and her mother formed her out of clay, and then Zeus zapped her into being, a, uh, you know, a, a living, breathing person, uh, which obviously obviated the need for Hippolyta to actually have sex with Zeus, which is like one way of doing it. Um, so anyway, but she's she steals the uh, the the magic sword and the shield from her mother and goes off to sort out World War Two because right. she's fallen in love with an airman who's the first man she's ever met. He's crashed, close attention crashed into this. the sea just outside the <laughs> island where she and her coven, uh, her, you know, coven of other muscular ladies who look good in, you know, leather thongs uh, live, live and fight. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but so she's constantly uh, putting down the short, the precious sword and the shield and just wandering off without it, and then somehow it's back with her in a, oh. in a future scene. And I'm just issues. constantly thinking, pick up that sword! It's the only way you're going to kill Ares! That's her whole mission, and you keep leaving it in the shop! Because, you know, <laughs> she's with the airman, and they're, all of a sudden they're in World War II era London, and she's striding around with barely a stitch on. So <laughs> he takes her into this shop, and they fit her for clothes. And then for a little minute, it turns into like Splash or something. You remember that um, yeah, movie do. with Daryl Hannah yeah. about the mermaid? Yeah. It, it, it then moves into sort of like, whoa, comedy as watch the Amazonian warrior try and struggle into oh, a 1940, God. you know, tweed suit. Is this film worth seeing or is it really uh, Look, I'll take that question in a couple of parts, Kevin Rudd style. Um <laughs> Hard for me to tell because I was in one of those – I actually, like, really treated my daughter um, and we went to, like, the Lux Cinema oh, session, yeah. which is, like, is so comfortable and someone is just bringing you popcorn. So right. you're having a nice time anyway. I mean, right. like, I could have been watching, a you know, that Department of Finance training video thing and I would have been like, this is pretty great. Um, uh, the, the movie is just mental, basically. It is right. – um, there's so much fighting and violence. That's mainly what's going on. Uh, but I sort of loved all these chicks just smiting things for no good reason. Okay. Um, I didn't – There was a, the, the, the movie wanders all over the place a little bit. But it's quite a, you know, it, it sort of races along. And if you suspend pretty much any kind of um, uh, plot – consistency expectation that you have then it's fine um also it's got david thulis in it who i really like i don't know who he is um he was in a mike lee film called uh, naked and he's also in um fargo okay um and he's just such an awesome actor um very powerful and he and he's in it as the god of war <coughs> another he... spoiler oh god that's a total spoiler <laughs> okay Dear god. oh wow anyway sorry we better put a spoiler look i mean really i mean it's 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 really barely worth the suspense but um but yeah so it's um it's it's a just a crazy old funny movie but this current um there seems to be so many super action movies and things based on comics and things like recently i had a conversation with jeremy where he just said you don't even like movies do you and i'm like actually i hardly ever see a movie that i think i'd like to I'd like to see that movie. It just seems to be such trash. We've struck on a rich vein of discussion here with only four minutes to go. I I love that you're bound by the half an hour. (laughs) You know, nobody cares if we go – this is not 7.30, mate. We can actually stray a couple of minutes over the – We'll see how we go. That's why I've got the machine in my hands. Oh, gosh. Um, I have a real problem with 
contemporary films. They're not well written. They need an edit. Everything is yeah. too long. Yeah. And so now, because most films are just a pile of steaming trash, our bar for what we consider to be a good film, I reckon, has been considerably lowered. If you watch some films from, you know, 1980 and mm. earlier, yeah. you'll see well-structured stuff that takes about one hour, 20 minutes, one hour and a half, just really tight. Yeah. Um, now you go and see something like La La Land, which is, you know, completely lauded, and it's flabby, it's not that well-written. I mean, I liked La La Land, but, I mean, it's just not... They couldn't really dance. You also, know? That there's this whole range now of just formula films that are full action movies or, you know, well, let's do another comic book adaptation mm. that, and these sort of series that are all the same, that yeah. are all about, you know, the special effects and the whatever. And I just think I'm, I'm just not going to get into that. Now, maybe people do. I know you personally are a massive fan of the diehard genre. Yeah, because they were written in the <laughs> 80s and so they like are actually, yep. that's a good action film. Like it's got a plot, it's got some humour in it. The acting of Alan Rickman is absolutely fantastic. He's an awesome baddie. Um, like, it's got some stuff going for it. Whereas if you go and see stuff today, I mean, I quite liked Skyfall, the Bond film, uh, from a few Bond films back, but the more recent Bond and films. And you love Fifty Shades of Grey. Well, I was thinking about Fifty Shades of Grey before, funnily enough, because when we're talking about issues that you have with certain, you know, um, logistical issues. I remember one that we had. Pick up that sword. The, the leather room or the red room or whatever it was called. Well, that's going to get filthy and Who's sticky and up? disgusting. Who's cleaning it? It's basically it's just a, you know, could I get this off with... Um, um, Spray and wipe. What's that stuff? Can I get this off with gumption? <laughs> Do you remember gumption? Yes. I think I'm pretty sure it's still available. Another potential sponsor. Sponsored by gumption. It's a kind of like a gritty paste that you use to clean grouting with. Can I? It'd be good in the red room. Yeah, I'm sure it would Give be. That a bit of a gumption. I'm sure it would be. Yeah. Um, you'd probably want a bit of exit mould. It'd get moist down there. <laughs> <laughs> it'd get mouldy. Now, um, given that the theme of this. One last, can I make one last point on yes. the movies, terrible movies point? Yes. Um, my friend Madeline sent me a link to a really good article, a really interesting one, mm. about the shifting market for Hollywood movies. Oh, yeah. And the fact that China has now overtaken America as the country with the biggest number of movie screens. Oh. 40,000, more than 40,000 movie screens now in China. Mm. And there are a whole range of movies now that really tank it in the US but go Completely hog wild. Oh, what type um, of things? Well, lots of action and lots of um, kind of formula um, and, uh, you know, cartoon adaptations and that sort of like full blockbuster shoot 'em up um, things. And that must have a bit of a um, an impact, surely, in the kind of movies that are made because this is a, a really giant, um, giant, giant market. And like the main, they've got a list of like, the article's called These Hollywood Movies Were Saved by the Chinese Box Office. And the most amazing one was this film called Resident Evil, the mm. final chapter, which I think has Ruby Rose in it. Okay, um, but it's it. like the sixth part of this zombie horror series that's been going on and on. And in in the US, it, it, it did $26 million. But in China, it did $159 million at the box office. So, like, mm. it was, yeah, it, it's just a, such an interesting evolution in – not only who you know who makes movies but 
and what they make them about, but who's watching them. I wonder if China's got – they must have their own domestic film industry. Have they got sure, that many yeah, cinemas? absolutely. So, yeah. um, just since the theme of this podcast is dystopia and sort of fantasy and a bit of that stuff. And gumption. Um, uh, gumption. Future gumption. <laughs> what will future gumption be like? It could be coloured. Um, I I hate Game of Thrones. Mm. Do you watch Game of Thrones? Mm-mm. So it started this week, the new season, season seven or something. Um, I read the story about how it crashed. Oh, yeah. Or oh whatever. Um, so I don't know any of the stuff that you can read, but I do trust Benjamin Law and he tweeted and he said the best of the Game of Thrones recaps for anyone listening who likes Game of Thrones. He said the New York Times is the best of the serious recaps, which gives all this detail and context and is absolutely awesome. And he said if you want the sort of recap where you just laugh yourself sick, it's Sinead Stubbins on Junkie. All right. Yeah, so there you go. Straight and sales will be back later with a spoiler for, you know, what ultimately <laughs> happens in this cliffhanger hey, new series. That's right. <laughs> uh, all right, I think we're going to leave it there. Yep. Gumption! <laughs>